The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host, and today's guest, Charlotte Valles, is the Director of Farm and Food Policy at the Cornucopia Institute. She holds graduate degrees from Harvard and Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition, and she's authored many reports for the Cornucopia Institute covering topics such as organic infant formula and the organic soy and egg industry. And Charlotte Valles is on Health Watch today to discuss her latest report, Serial Crimes, How Natural Claims Deceive Consumers and Undermine the Organic Label, A Look Down the Cereal and Granola Aisle. If you'd like to join the conversation with Charlotte Valles, you can do so by calling 503-231-8187. Welcome to Health Watch, Charlotte. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it, one of the first things that becomes really clear in, in, in the Serial Crimes report is that the natural label is doesn't have a lot of meaning, that there's no agency or independent group that's actually defining the term or assessing whether it's being applied in any sort of uh, meaningful way. Can, can you elaborate on that a little? Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, there is no, um, unlike the organic label, which is regulated by the United States Department of Agriculture, uh, there's no agency that ensures that there is a common standard for the term natural. So essentially every company comes up with its own definition of what it wants natural to mean. Um, some companies, um, you know, for some companies that means no GMOs, for others it doesn't. Um, same with some, um, a lot of synthetics that go into foods. Um, so. You just simply can't be guaranteed um, that the natural label means anything, um, which, of course, is very different from other labels, um, especially organic, which, which, for which there is a common standard and it is federally regulated. Well, it's, it seems like a similar theme to some of uh, the other uh, reports that the Cornucopia Institute has released, like with the idea of free range and, and chickens doesn't seem to have the meaning that you would think it would have either. That's right, yeah. So uh, what are some of the um, more egregious things that could be in products that are called natural or 100% natural? Well, what we found um, to be especially egregious egregious is the use of um, genetically modified organisms. So um, as I mentioned earlier, some companies um, are becoming um, non-GMO project um, verified, but uh, some companies are are just enrolled in the non-GMO project and um, they are using the natural label and continuing to use GMOs in their natural products. So uh, we tested some of these products um, where we just went to the store and grabbed some boxes off the shelf and um, and we of course focused on on products like corn flakes and corn puffs because corn is one of the, the most commonly genetically modified crop in the United States and um, and we sent them to a testing lab and, and then a lot of the products with a natural label did show up to be um, not just accident, accidental contamination with GMOs but where it was very clear that they were u- intentionally using buying GMO crops um, at levels of you know in the 50s uh, percent of the crops 
in that product were genetically modified, and some as high as 100%. Um, yeah, I saw that with, I think it was Kashi that had almost 100% GMO right. Um, content. Right, exactly. And the Kashi products uh, with soy, so soy protein isolate, for example, which they use in their products where they advertise as being high protein, um, you know, maybe your listeners have seen these ads that they have where they say as much protein as an egg for breakfast. Um, you know, that protein comes from soy and um, 100% of the soy that they use in this particular sample that we tested was genetically modified. And um, so GMOs is one, um, but the other one that we really want consumers to know about is pesticides. Um, and, and nobody's really talking about this, but of course in organic you, uh, again, can be pretty much assured that the farmer um, was, 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 was following standards that prohibit synthetic uh, pesticides. With natural, there's absolutely nothing stopping a company making, quote, natural foods from, from buying, well, what they do is they buy conventional crops, and those are um, generally sprayed with pesticides, and, um, and again, not, nothing is stopping those farmers from from using uh, very toxic pesticides on on the crops that then end up in natural foods. And um, um, and another one is, um, is fumigation, which, um, again, is prohibited in organic foods, but uh, nothing stopping a company with the natural label from using crops that in storage were fumigated um, to kill certain pests. I, I found that section of the report the most disturbing somehow. Could you describe what some of those fumigants are that are sprayed on things that are later called 100% natural? Yeah, so these fumigants are, um, you know, like sul- um, sul- uh, sulfur fluoride. Um, they are, they are fu- fumigants that um, the, fa- the farmer is instructed to spray the fumigant as the crop enters storage. And so um, it's done for crops that can sit in storage for a little while, so uh, corn, other kinds of grains, and, um, and wheat, for example, as well. And, um, you know, you, you should kind of think of it as when you have termites in your house and they put the big plastic wrap on your house and they fumigate the house. Um, so, I mean, these are the same kinds of toxic fumigants that are being used on foods that then can go straight from being fumigated to the processor to make into the products uh, for the consumers. And so the label, one of the labels actually says that these foods can be offered to consumers as little as 24 hours after being fumigated with these very toxic um, um, fumigants. So um, it's, it's just something that Unfortunately, people aren't really aware that this is happening in our food system, um, and and it is prohibited in organic. Um, but if you you know, and and, and of course, also, we we want people to know that residues do happen, and um, if you are one of the people who happens to pick up a box that was fumigated with a little bit too much. Um, then you would be exposed to to levels that are really higher than what you should be exposed to. And the reason I mention that is because the pesticide data program from the USDA, which uh, tests residues, has found 
uh, residues above the acceptable levels for children on some um, wheat flour samples that they tested. And, th- and this is from the fumigants um, in storage. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today with the Director of Farm and Food Policy at the Cornucopia Institute, Charlotte Valais. And if you'd like to join the conversation, the number is 503-231-8187. And, and why, Charlotte, did the Institute focus on cereal and granola specifically around this natural versus organic uh, issue? Uh, well, we we picked cereal. Uh, there's actually several reasons. One is cereal is just a very common um, product in American households. Most most households have cereal boxes, um, and especially children like to eat cereal. Um, I, I know I have two kids. I know that the the little O's that were encouraged even as parents to give those to very very young children, uh, babies when they're starting to eat on their own. So, um, you know, given that that there is concern, especially for children, and the effects of GMOs and pesticides, we thought it was important to focus on a food um, that is very common and commonly given to children. And, um, you know, the other reason, I I mean, I have to say, actually, um, is because I personally was in in a store uh, just doing my own grocery shopping and happened to notice in the granola aisle that a certified organic local company um, making 100% organic granola was priced lower than Bare Naked. And, of course, Bare Naked is, and you have to know this because it doesn't say it anywhere on a Bare Naked package or even on the website, but Bare Naked is owned by Kellogg. Um, and... And I'm assuming bare naked is not organic, but calls itself natural. Right, and exactly, and so they call themselves 100% pure and natural. Um, and they appeared on the shelf right next to, in my case, because I live um, in the Boston area, so it's it's a local granola maker from Maine called Grandiotes, and they were right next to each other on the shelf with the organic or with bare naked priced higher. Um, than the than the organic, and that's what prompted me to really look at the pricing as well. And that's another thing we focused on in the report was um, was the fact that some of these very large agribusinesses like Kellogg and PepsiCo are charging high prices um, for products that are are essentially conventional, but they put this fancy label "natural," you know, the natural label on there in an apparent attempt to convince consumers that their product is somehow better than, than any of their other, of their other products. And, um, well, it seems to become a no-brainer if, if not only is organic have actual standards that are um, verified by independent agencies, but there actually are options that are organic that are cheaper than the all-natural alternatives. Exactly. And we, we wanted to point that out to consumers. Um, and especially in the cereal aisle, this is one place where, you know, if you buy cereal, if, you know, if that's something on your weekly shopping list, um, that, they, that people really can look for organic, and um, it doesn't mean that they really have to pay more um, than, than natural. Well, one part of the deceptiveness of the, the natural campaign isn't just the 100% natural label, but isn't it also these... Uh, subsidiary companies that the corporations form that sound very small and homey, like 
Mothers, owned by Pepsi, and Back to Nature, owned by Kraft, and Health Valley, owned by Haines Celestial. Yes, that's right, and um, and that, and that's another um, another thing we pointed out in our report was who is the corporate owner of some of these very um, very nice sounding brands, like you mentioned, you know, Back to Nature. I mean, what could be wrong with a company called Back to Nature? And of course, it's not a company. Back to Nature is just a brand. It's a name um, owned by Kraft, one of the largest. Um, food corporations in the world. And um, same with Kashi. We've actually heard a lot of consumer uh, feedback after we released our report on Kashi. A lot of people very um, disturbed and shocked to find out that what what they thought had been a very small company um, that they were supporting um, to find out that that is owned by, by Kellogg's. And um, you know, it's the these are these have become brands. In some cases, they um, started out as their own companies, but then they were bought by very large uh, corporations, and they just become brand names. Um, and there really isn't a company behind them anymore. Um, you know, the people who now work at Kashi work for Kellogg, and they are bound by the the Kellogg policies. For example, um, the use of genetically modified or- organisms. Um, that, you know, Kashi really doesn't have control over that anymore. They do what Kellogg tells them to do, essentially. And um, and so um, it's important for people to know that. And we also know that people like to support, uh, when, they're in the, when they're in the store, you know, they like to think of where their money is going. They, you know, people know when they buy something that some of, that, that profit goes somewhere. And a lot of people do want to support smaller um, if possible, local companies. And um, so we do think it's important for people to know that, uh, for example, Bare Naked on their website make themselves look like they still are a very small company started by two young entrepreneurs. Uh, their pictures are still all over the website. Um, you're not supporting those two young entrepreneurs anymore. You're supporting Kellogg's. Um, so it's it's important for people to know that. And And in terms of deceptive terminology. I know we've talked a lot now about 100% natural, not really having a whole lot of meaning, but organic actually having some sort of verifiable meaning. Uh, You know, there's other terms like sustainable and environmentally conscious, which also don't have any real substantive meaning when put on a box. But one thing that surprised me that you mentioned is a product can say non-GMO and still be genetically modified. And the only, it's, it sounds like what you're arguing is the only way you can be sure you're not getting genetically modified food is by going with the organic label again. Right. So um, the non-GMO label, um, of course, is, well, actually, let me back up here. One thing that, that is important for consumers to know uh, is that there are some, some guides available online, they're called non-GMO shopping guides, um, that are actually inaccurate. And so they're based on the non-GMO project, which has um, a non-GMO project verified label, which is showing up in grocery stores. And, uh, and, and um, a lot of organic products actually also carry this label. And, and that has been verified by this third party to be non-GMO. However, um, this 
this organization also, quote, enrolls um, products before they verify them. And that really doesn't mean much. Um, it means that, that they're kind of on the road to becoming verified, but at the moment they are not verified to be non-GMO. So if they are not organic, because of course in organic um, you're not allowed to use GMO seed, um, so if the product is not organic, just because it's non-GMO project enrolled doesn't mean that it doesn't contain GMOs. And unfortunately some of the guides available um, on online, like non-GMO shopping guides, are based on the non-GMO project enrolled. And we tested some of those products, and they did show up to have uh, not just accidental contamination, but intentional use of GMOs. Um, so again, in, we, we do believe that organic, again, is the best guarantee for somebody looking for a non-GMO product. Um, organic as you mentioned earlier, it's third-party certified. It's uh, the farmers are not allowed to buy or plant GMO seed, and it's really the only program or the only label out there um, that has that kind of verification. So, so, so if you're looking for non-GMO, definitely the organic label is is what you should be looking for. Well, it's interesting, Charlotte, that the studies show that people mistakenly trust the label 100% natural more than they trust the label 100% organic. And it seems like the corporations that were trying to cash in on the, the rise of organic agriculture by having organic products are now backing off and, and uh, using the term all natural or 100% natural because they can make the same amount of money with a less cost, I'm guessing. But, and you mentioned a lot of companies that are doing this, like Annie's, that a lot of people know about for their mac and cheese, used to be 100% organic, and I think now it's down to 20%. Um, right. How is that affecting organic farming in general and, and organic uh, the growth of organic as an industry? Right. So we, we have heard from um, organic uh, grain farmers, you know, corn, wheat, the kinds of grains that go into cereal, um, that they were experiencing lower demand for their crops. So we went, we, we verified that through some USDA data, and we found that indeed um, acreage in organic grains has decreased um, in the past couple of years. Um, and there are certainly other factors. So we're not saying that, you know, Annie's and Barber's Bakery and Peace Cereal are to blame, um, or, or that they are the only reason why these farmers are having to switch back to conventional, uh, or why they're struggling so much. But it certainly is a factor that needs to be that that needs to be considered. Um, so, so it has had an impact on farmers um, and on the organic industry as a whole. I mean, we see this as kind of an unfortunate, what we call bait and switch. So, you know, you, like pea cereal is a great example. They used to be all organic, um, and consumers just get used to um, picking the, you know, the, the box of cereal that they pick off the shelf every week, and you just keep doing that. And then suddenly um, they switch on you from being organic to natural, and a lot of consumers don't really notice. Um, and um, it's... You know, we want the organic industry to grow. It's organic means no pesticides. It, it just has so many benefits for the environment, for human health. Um, we want to see more people, more companies 
um, switching to organic, not the other way around. So it's, um, you know, it's very disappointing to see companies like Annie's and Barber's Bakery um, <clears throat> make that switch away from organic and, and unfortunately um, then profiting from, from their loyal consumers. And, uh, you know, I've just heard this um, just among my own friends who, who will say things like, oh, Annie's, yeah, they're organic. Um, well, yeah, they used to be very organic, um, and they certainly still have organic products, and those, you know, people should buy those and support those. But, but again, it's not because it's, you know, the brand name does not equal um, the label, and that's something for consumers to be very aware of, that, um, that these products can switch from organic to conventional and, and just to be on the lookout for that. Is there any sort of political movement uh, involved in, in trying to get the, the term natural regulated in some meaningful fashion so, or so that some companies can't use it? And is there a way that individuals can get involved in that if there is one? Uh, well, interestingly, after we released our report, we did see some, um, some media coverage on on actually an industry effort to have the natural label um, standardized. And um, so, so this would actually be by, by companies. Um, and there are some companies that are doing more than others, so those obviously have an interest in having stronger standards. Um, but as far as a you know, consumer movement, um, th- there's nothing really that we're aware of. And I think that's because consumers do know that if they want something natural, it's already there. Um, it's just called something different. It's called organic. Um, so, you know, the, the organic label is is already there, and it's a thriving market. Um, there's lots of products available. And as I mentioned earlier, in, in a lot of cases, they're cheaper than natural. Um, so if consumers really do want something natural, you know, in the sense of no pesticides, no GMOs, no fumigants, um, the organic label really is what they should be looking for. And it's really, I think, apropos that you chose cereal. And you, you mentioned children before, but the, the fact that children are, are not only more vulnerable to pesticide exposure, but will have a higher concentration of it in their bodies when exposed to it than an adult. I, I think you mentioned something like um, children who are eating organic food had six times less pesticide in their urine than children eating non-organic, and I'm sure that's not as large for an adult who's, who's eating non-organic versus organic. That's right. So there is a lot of concern. I mean, you know, for pesticides in children specifically for many different reasons, but one, one indeed, per, you know, per pound of body weight, a child will eat more um, than an adult. Um, because, you know, they're, they're so much smaller. They're, you know, 20 pounds in some cases, and yet they eat a lot. Um, the other reason it, that we should be very concerned for children specifically is they are growing and developing so fast. And a lot of pesticides that are very uh, common today, organophosphates, are neurotoxins. So, so, they, so they work, I mean, they kill insects by targeting the neurological system. Now, you know, the, 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 the enzymes that they target in the insects are the same kind of enzymes that we have in our neurological system. So for children, um, 
whose neurological systems, you know, brains, nerves are developing so quickly, we really need to be concerned about what happens when they are when they are ingesting these residues of neurotoxins. And um, there was an interesting study in two, 2010 uh, from Harvard and University of Montreal researchers um, linking these neurotoxic pesticides to um, ADHD in children, showing that um, children with higher levels of these um, pesticide residues in their urine were much more likely to be diagnosed with um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, and, um, yeah, so those, so those are some of the major reasons to be very concerned about pesticides in children. Um, it's just that they are growing so quickly, and so the effects of a neurotoxin um, will, will be, you know, different um, than they would be in an adult. Well, Charlotte, we only have a couple minutes to go, and, and I was wanting to make sure that we talked about the serial scorecard. I know we've had your colleague, Mark Castell, on talking about uh, the egg scorecard and the soy scorecard, which I, I found really useful on your website. And I was hoping you could just briefly explain what the serial scorecard is and, and then where people can go look at it if they want to see how their, their beloved brand is, is faring on, in your testing. Sure. So um, we decided, I mean, as we do with every major project uh, that we do at Cornucopia, we want to um, empower consumers. So we don't just want to give the bad news. We want to give the good news because there are always lots of companies out there that are doing things right. Um, and that, you know, when we tell you about, don't you know, watch out for Kashi, well, what should you buy instead? That's what the scorecard is for. Um, it ranks cereal companies according to certain criteria, such as um, pesticide use, uh, GMOs, um, also the neurotoxic solvent hexane, which we actually didn't talk about here, but that's another one of our criteria. And, um, and, and, and this particular scorecard also just shows you which companies are organic, which ones are 100% organic, and so the top-rated ones are very good choices. If you're looking for an alternative to, um, you know, if you discover what you have been buying is, is rated very low, uses GMOs, uses pesticides, um, that's where you can go to find the brands um, that, that are um, committed to organics, committed to being non-GMO. And, um, and so it just rates the, the brands. Um, consumers definitely should look for the, the most highly rated. And as I mentioned earlier, it, you know, some people are concerned about cost. Um, it doesn't, the, it's, I mean, you'd be very surprised to see um, that some of the most highly rated in the very top category are actually um, less expensive than a lot of the ones in the very bottom category. Um, and maybe you could give out your website so that uh, people can check out all the scorecards. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's www.cornucopia.org. And have you, have you done, like, with the uh, egg scorecard, have you gone on site and visited the, the farms, or is that not necessary with cereal? No, we didn't think that was necessary with, um, with cereal. So, um, you know, we, we do verify some um, of the information that, that this, scorecard is based on, obviously, um, 
And we did, for example, do some GMO testing of our own. Um, but, um, but unlike the egg and the dairy scorecards, we didn't actually visit any of the farms. Well, it was a, a pleasure having you on, on Health Watch, Charlotte, and I encourage listeners to go to cornucopia.org because they can also sign up to get all sorts of alerts on how to defend the organic uh, label, for instance. That's right, and actually currently um, we are encouraging people to go on the homepage. Um, people can print out and hand sign and mail back to us a proxy letter, which we will be delivering in two weeks at the National Organic Standards Board, and there are some very important issues that are going to be voted on. Um, and, and and really... I mean, Unfortunately, Charlotte, we're out of time, but I'll... Uh, okay. I'll uh, make sure that people get a chance to go to cornucopia.org. Great. Thank you. We are talking today with Charlotte Valais, the Director of Farm and Food Policy at the Cornucopia Institute. Stay tuned for the rest of the radio, Monday morning radio zine, where we'll be uh, having a show on healthcare system in Cuba.